Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. And I'm Casey Bartley. And we are back in your ears once again to talk mostly, and in fact, all uh, basketball again this week. There's just a whole lot going on in the offseason for Purdue basketball, so uh, that's what Casey and I would prefer to talk about, so it works out great for us. Yeah, we're not here to be miserable. (laughs) So first, I thought it was very surprising this past week that the men of Mackey announced none other than Kelsey Barlow. Uh, as the newest member of the team, uh, a reminder, head coach is Ryan Smith. Ryan Smith, so far they've got John Octius, Lewis Jackson, um, A.J. Hammonds, and I'm Evan missing... Boudreaux. Yeah, Evan Boudreaux. I knew I was missing one. So the addition of Kelsey Barlow just surprised the heck out of me. Casey, what was your initial reaction? Yeah, it's kind of two surprises in a row. Um, weird to see A.J. Hammonds come back after not being involved in the last one. And then Kelsey Barlow, who, you know, left Purdue with a little bit, uh, obviously not the greatest of terms, left early. Uh, haven't really heard much of him since he left Purdue. I was surprised to find out he was still playing pro ball. Yeah. Um, the videos are pretty impressive. He looks good. He's got a nice jump shot now. He's still long and athletic. And on a basketball court, it makes a lot of sense. And you know, we like to make we like to make a lot of assumptions about guys and how people feel about guys because you know we watch them play a certain way and it doesn't agree with uh, the tangibles we'd like to see. And I think a lot of that has happened with Barlow. Um, obviously, some of the off court stuff were real issues, but I, there's no way they would invite him to the team if you know all these alumni weren't cool with him. So yeah, he was a young kid then at Purdue. Um, he's like seven years into playing professional basketball now. So exactly. Uh, he's a grown up. Uh, Jace Jellison, uh, just had him on the podcast. He 
said he was a lot of fun, uh, a funny interview, had some great stories. So I'm excited to uh, see him with some of these guys again. Yeah, me too. And to to go to your point, I mean, he did leave Purdue under, you know, not great circumstances. But I think it says a lot about not only him, but Purdue and Coach Painter as well, that there was never really any talk in the media of, you know, so-and-so, uh, you know, was really dragging down the team anything like that. I mean, you could tell that, that Painter knew Kelsey Barlow had some problems off the court and really wanted to help him with those. Um, but unfortunately you can't get to everybody at that specific time in their life. Um, but Barlow has been back around the program. He's been to games in Mackey. Um, he's, you know, sitting with other players. So like you said, there seems to be no ill will, um, you know, toward each other. And, looks like Barlow is coming back more and more into the program. And to me, that's a great thing because like you said, he was, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old when those off the court things happened. And you love to see the growth in a player. You love to see them learn and admit that they've made mistakes. And Barlow has done that in interviews. And I listened to a little bit of the podcast um, with Jace and, you know, he, he says as much that, you know, he, he did some stupid stuff. He didn't, you know, doesn't hold painter accountable for that. Um, he made mistakes, and I think it, it shows a lot of growth um, as a player and as a person to admit you've made mistakes and uh, come back, and now he's one of the men of Mackey, and I think that's going to be a great addition to the team. Uh, he brings a lot of things that you don't already have on that team so far. Yeah, athletic length, uh, knows how to play with the ball, was a lead ball handler, one of the best scorers down in the Australian league, right? Well, right now he's in Argentina. Argentina. Uh, he was he was the second leading scorer in the Argentina league. Yeah, something like 17.8 points a game. Uh, yeah. the video of him dropping nearly a 50 piece. Like I said, the the big the big knock on him in college was that he couldn't didn't have a jumper, and now he kind of does. And yeah, he's always had the length and athleticism. So yeah, he's going to be, I would guess, a lead ball handler alongside Lou Jack. I mean, and. And that's another thing. When you have someone like Lou Jack, you need taller guards on your team. Yeah, and that's a huge change of pace going from Lou Jack handling the ball to Kelsey Barlow handling the ball. Yeah, that's for sure. Barlow looked very methodical, controlled, picking oh, yeah. the ball up top, and you know, Lou Jack is just uh, lightning in a bottle. Yeah, I mean, I, I, can't, I don't think there's maybe one player who comes off the top of my head who can guard both of those guys you know, adequately. So to be able to sub them in for one another is going to be a heck of a treat. Uh, for opposing defenses. So uh, we're excited to see Kelsey Barlow come back and play. So the men of Mackey continue, I think, to build a pretty good team. Um, we'll see when they're adding additional players. I know they're kind of dripping them out uh, once a week, maybe twice a week. So be interested to see who they add this coming week. I know we've, we've kind of each got our theories on who they're going to add, but we'll just have to wait and see until it becomes official. So we're looking forward to the men of Mackey and, uh, now, from former players to uh, current and uh, future players, uh, we had three Purdue players named uh, as, uh, I guess, people who are going to be invited to try out for the USA under-19 team. Uh, three Purdue players. We had um, Jaden Ivey and then two incoming players, Caleb First and Trey Kaufman-Wren, were both announced as uh, invitees to the USA uh, under-19 team. And there are only 27 players invited, so Purdue has three of them, which that's a pretty good situation to be in. Yeah, um, Purdue has some history with this, uh, especially since Gene Cady started to be an assistant coach. You definitely saw more Purdue guys get invited. 
But this is pretty much, you know, uh, Biggie Swanigan played in these. Uh, I'm missing one recently. Carson Edwards. Yeah, Carson uh, Edwards did. Carson Edwards involved. You're talking the elite of the elite. And to have three different guys, two of them that have never played college ball at all. One just, uh, it's kind of a reminder about, yeah, Jay Nevy played last year, but he's still super young. But yeah, to have three different guys is a really good sign for the future. And at that age, uh, to go play for Jamie uh, Dixon, to go have that competition against the top talent in the country, it's there is only upside to be gained from this. Yeah, and I, I have to point out, you did miss one current Purdue player who was on the USA under-19 team in the past. And I'm really disappointed that you, of all people, didn't get it. Oh, Trey? Yeah, yeah. he won a gold medal. That's right. I didn't catch any of his game, his games on uh, the stream, so I think that's why I uh, kind of looked over it. That, that's a, I, that that's I'm, a lovely I'm, excuse. That I'm dying from the flu, Ledman. Yeah, well, that's true too. Yeah, uh, he was uh, he was on the team in 2020, um, and uh, they won all. Se- I'm sorry, 2019. They won and they won all seven games, seven and zero. He came home with a gold medal. So that was after after Trey's freshman year. So I think Ethan know, Morton was a camp invitee himself as well. He he may have been, yeah. Um, but I mean, with with both Katie being involved in USA basketball in the past and Painter uh, more recently, you know, Purdue has got a little bit of a pipeline here to USA basketball, and that is nothing but good for recruiting for prestige for anything you could think of for the basketball program. Anytime you can be involved with USA basketball, you're going to want to step on board. So to have three of the 27 invitees be Purdue players, that's, that's pretty damn good. And we're looking forward to uh, see what happens. So just for, for anybody who doesn't know the process, it's going to be two weeks from today. Uh, They do have a training camp. So it's going to be over three days in uh, Texas and they only will name uh, 12 members to the team uh, following that training camp. So we've got a little bit of time to wait, but uh, 12 of the 27 invitees will actually be named to the under-19 team. Uh, Casey, do you, not knowing, obviously, I don't have in front of me everybody who was invited, but do you think any of these three guys uh, have a chance of making the team? I'd be shocked if Jay Nivey doesn't make it. Yeah, me too. I, I, I think he'll be a starting star guard on this team. He is... He was the best player on the floor in an NCAA tournament game last year. As his game progressed throughout the year, he became uh, one of the best ball dynamic guards in the Big Ten. I would be absolutely shocked if he is not an absolute stud on this team. Kaufman and first, uh, it's both a little bit of a throw up to me. Uh, There's not a ton of size on this team, um, but you do have some guys like Chet Holgram, you know, number one recruit going to Gonzaga. Um, Deshaun Jackson, Washington State. Uh, he's an older guy. I, I, I could maybe see one of those two sneaking on, but I doubt if both get it. And in, in my, I, I, I'll just say this: if one of them does make it on to the team, that is a very good sign for this coming up year because that probably means they're above even our expectations. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's going to be tough for either of them to make the team. No knock on them. It's just a lot of the people who are invited are going to be 
people who have already played a year of college ball, they've already had that time to work on their body, work on their game. Whereas if you're coming in after just completing your senior year in high school, your body looks differently. You're not maybe as mentally prepared as those other folks who've been through a college basketball season. So they do have an uphill battle there, but I think you're correct with Jaden Ivey. I think he will be on the team. And should he be on the team, the event is actually being held in Latvia this year from July 3rd to July 11th. So they'll have quite a uh, quite a haul uh, to get over to Latvia. And um, if Jaden Ivey or anyone else from Purdue makes the team, you can be sure to check out coverage on HammerAndRails.com. Great holiday in over there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I want. You think they? You think they'll have a nice Fourth of July fireworks celebration over there for the American team? I mean, you know, I, it wouldn't shock me. It'd be very nice, very accommodating of the hosts. Mm-hmm. Everyone be... likes big boom boom fireworks. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So hopefully we we get good news after that training camp in, in June, and uh, we will let you know on the site and probably here on the podcast once we get news on that. So um, before we get into our last topic of the day, we are going to head to a commercial break to make sure to get that money. All right, we'll be right back. And welcome back. I am going to take over the driver's seat for this segment as Ledman and I discuss our last little topic here. It's not Purdue related, but when two of the greatest coaches of all time announce they're going to retire um, during the same summer, Roy Williams, who will vacate his seat immediately after 903 college wins and three national titles, and Coach K just announced that he will be retiring from Duke. Uh, He goes into the season with 1,170 wins. Damn. Five national titles. Um, not a bunch of recent success, you could say, but obviously a legend, um, one of the greatest coaches in all sports, all time. To have two, uh, two just absolute icons at the coaching position in college basketball, it really brings up a conversation I'd like to have with you, Ledman, about what do we think is more important? The coach of a program or the program itself so initially just where actually what what is your first memory of coach k uh, i mean i think my first memory of coach k is you know when i was was younger i've got three older brothers and the brother right above me who's two years older um he is sports obsessed just like i am um, but being, you know, the younger brother, you're always looking up to him. You're always watching what he's watching because he's bigger than you can beat you up, has the remote. So we watched sports center all the time. It was always on ESPN. And I remember seeing like a picture of coach K and I remember seeing like the spelling of his name. And I was like, coach Chris, Chris <laughs> I, and that like no idea who he was. And my brother's like, no. And I was like, okay. I was like, I'll get there. Um, so, I mean, that's, I mean, it's not a great, you know, memory as far as basketball goes, but I mean, he's been at Duke for so long. I don't even know who the coach was before coach K at Duke. I I have absolutely no memory, uh, of, of who that was. I think that's perfectly reasonable. I, I, I mean, do, do you know, like without looking it up? Oh, definitely not. Not, not even a little bit. I, he's been there. What? 40 years. Uh, he has been there since 1980. Yeah, 40. It'll be 41 years. Yeah, no, I mean, he is Duke basketball. When you think of Duke, you think of, honestly, I, I think a lot of like the grainy old CBS uh, Saturday afternoon games 
and you just see him and Cameron Hall. And, yeah. And that's Duke basketball. Yeah. Um, before him was Bill Foster. But I, I was just about to say, I looked it up too. Somebody, a guy named Bill E. Foster. He was there for six seasons. He was 113 and 64. So, Which, But no, apparently, I mean, he got him on the right place because uh, when Bill Foster took over, they were nothing. And then uh, India, NCAA division runner-up, second round, and an Elite Eight. Yeah. So I, I mean, don't know guy, what he did to get fired. The guy before him was only there for a year and was 10 and 16. So Yeah. So, I mean, to your question, though, of what matters more, the coach or the program, I don't think there's one good answer. I think you have to have a good program. And by good program, I don't just mean like what you're doing, you know, on like with assistants and with, um, you know, managers and trainers and everything like that. You have to have a good athletic department. You have to have a good decision maker. You have to have someone who's doing the hiring who you trust, who understands the game of basketball, and who knows when you have a legend like Coach K walking out the door, you need to have planned for that. And hopefully, I mean, I know they've already they've already put the guy in place who's gonna who's gonna take over. Um, but the fact of the matter is, if you don't trust the guy in the head office in the athletic department, then yeah, it it, it is gonna be more about the coach because you never know who they're gonna bring in after and what kind of success they're gonna have. Yeah, and I that kind of frames it. When this news first dropped, I had said something in our group chat that kind of caught your eye. Uh, what what program would you rather be for the next five years? And I think a coaching change almost definitely takes you out of that equation. Yeah, I, I mean, that I don't disagree with. I, I think coaching changes, especially when you go from a legend like Coach K or a legend like Roy Williams, is always going to be difficult. Now... That being said, I do think both both Duke and North Carolina, while Duke was not the greatest this season, you know, they're still well situated to continue to be the blue blood programs um, around college basketball. And that is because they've had such sustained success over the last decade, the last 15 years. And even when a team like Duke doesn't get to the final four, doesn't win the national title, they're in the news all the time. People want to go play there. People want to see the Duke North Carolina game. They want to find a way to go and watch that game at Cameron. Um, you know, those those big names, whether we like it or not, they hold a place in players' hearts when they make decisions on where they're going to go. So while you and I love Purdue and would love, you know, the top one, two, three, four, and five recruits in the country all to go to Purdue every year, that's not going to happen. You know, teams like Duke and North Carolina have name brands. They have fans across the country. Purdue really has fans that are graduates or family of graduates. So here's why I don't think it's – it's obviously a little bit of both. But in the last 30 years, um, there – guess how many teams have won – two national titles in that time with two different coaches. One. Who is it? Kentucky? Yes. Kentucky, but there was also another school. UConn with Kevin Ollie, who took over from Oh, Calvary. yeah. Yep, okay. Both of those did it. Um, Tubby Smith literally did it the next year after Patino. Right. Never made another Final Four. Didn't end up being a coach there for very long. Yeah. Kevin Ollie is no longer the coach for UConn, even though they won within this last decade. 
three years after Calhoun taking over for Calhoun. He won his national title and one of the more surprising national titles in the last couple decades. Yeah. I, I think it is important to be the program because that does generally lend you to getting the best players. But I, I think, I think you have to have the right system and the right, but I, I think having the right coach who knows how to put a championship team together is the most important thing. Cause we have seen uh, if program was enough, UCLA would never be bad. Yeah, yeah. And they were bad for a very long time. Halland had a small little bit of success and then went right back to being bad and then got fired. Um, Lavin, I mean, Lavin had success there too. And then it just all fell, you know, out from under him and then he was gone. Yeah. I I, I think uh, the program allows you to reset quicker. Yes. You're never going to, like, you ha- you're not Northwestern. <laughs> you will never be that bad for that long. You have a chance to get back to the apex. But I think without the coach, it really doesn't matter because at best you're going to hit this like two, three year spike. Um, But you've seen a program like Villanova who stuck with their coach, Jay Wright and paying dividends now. Yeah. Two titles within five years. um, All because they stuck with the right guy. It's all about having the right guy who knows his system and the kind of players he wants to get. Yes. I, I don't disagree. Now here's where I'll say to, to kind of go with your side of the argument, there is a closer example of this phenomenon, and that is Indiana University. Um, Indiana, I mean, yes, they had Branch McCracken uh, prior to Bob Knight, but that program is Bob Knight. That program was molded by Bob Knight. It still maintains uh, a connection to Bob Knight. Bob Knight casts a shadow over that program. And quite frankly, they have never gotten over the fact that Bob Knight was fired, and they've never really recovered. They've had, you know, so like you said, some spikes, um, you know, they were the runner up in 2002. But other than that, I mean, they've never really gotten to where they want to be. And, you know, they may have a, you know, it's hard for me to admit, but they do have a bigger brand than Purdue, but... I don't know how much longer that's going to last because they have been down for quite a while. And I no offense to Mike Woodson, but uh, I'm not sure he's the guy to suddenly jolt them back up. So in that respect, the coach has made a hell of a difference. The coach molded the program, and ever since that coach left, the program has not been able to recover. Yeah, because the coach is what matters. And the biggest thing with UCLA and Duke and Kentucky – if they screw up, they're going to get another chance at hiring one of the great coaches. And at, at any time, there are maybe three to seven, maybe all the way up to ten coaches that truly make a difference, that are going to, you know, every year have a chance to have a national title team. And, who, who, who would you say those coaches are right now? Uh, Mark Few at Gonzaga. Obviously. Uh, Jay Wright at Villanova. Right. Uh, Roy Williams was one. Mm-hmm. Coach K was one, even though you could right. argue in the last decade, I don't know if he was, but he still do can still got the players, but obviously they way underrepresented. Yeah. Um, but I mean, let's not, let's not go too far. I mean, they won the thing in 2015. Yeah, they did. Um, I guess you could argue Izzo is, I, I, he, he, he keeps finding a way to get it done. 
Yeah. Um, so you look at Izzo, um, Calipari in Kentucky. Um, I, I don't think you can say Bayheim is anymore. He was. Yeah. He, I mean, he, I believe, was born at Syracuse and became coach two years later. <laughs> yes. yes. He, he will die on that sideline. <laughs> yes, he will. With, like, his third grandson playing for him. <laughs> yeah. This, this is <laughs> Jim the seventh is now starting at center. <laughs> um, one, one I would throw out, I, I don't know if you agree or not, I would throw Tony Bennett out there. Uh, Tony Bennett, for sure. Uh, okay. He finally got over the top. Uh, Tony Bennett is definitely, definitely one of the best coaches in the country. And I might be missing some people, but then you start talking like Painter's pretty close to that tier, just hasn't broke through yet. Yeah. Um, like there's only a, f- there, that's why it's such a big deal that Roy Williams and Coach K are retiring. Cause there's only a few sure things there. And two of them are now going to be gone after the season. Yeah. And one of them I- already gone. I think the hope for teams like North Carolina and Duke, when you do replace a legendary coach, is to look at what Michigan did. And Michigan, I mean, obviously, you know, they didn't have a Coach K. They didn't have a Roy Williams who won them multiple national titles. Um, but uh, Beeline was was a damn good coach, took them to multiple Final Fours. And they didn't miss a beat when Juwan Howard got hired. Um, you know, they, they looked a little bit different on offense. They played a little bit differently, but they were still a force to be reckoned with and had a hell of a good season. Um, obviously it was a bit disappointing in the NCAA tournament, but you know, that can happen to anybody. So I think they're the model they want to look at is Michigan. I get that, but we also talked about Tubby Smith and we talked about Kevin Ollie. I don't, yeah, I mean, I, I, you can't he decide. may not work out. We don't yeah. know. You, you can't. You don't know if he made the right coach hire because there's still so much residual success in talent yeah. on your roster. Yeah. You're not going to find out until that five to ten year later mark. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Because, it, you know, Juwan Howard didn't recruit most of those players on that team. Um, you Now, maybe he can get more out of them than Bayline did or, you know, continue a a streak of good basketball but yeah, it, we'll see where he's at five years down the road when everybody on that roster is one of his players and he's building it all on his own. The one good thing about hiring someone like Juwan Howard is, in theory, basketball has changed a ton in the last 10 to 20 years. You hire someone who's in it and younger, they're going to keep up with what's changing about it in the future. I think that's what you need to look for with hires. I don't think hiring older name guys is going to be the success, but... That's also, you know, a lot riskier to hire some of the guys that aren't as proven. So hiring coach is the hardest job any AD is ever going to have. Yeah, absolutely. Because sometimes if you're an AD, you may only get one shot. <laughs> um, you know, it, I mean, look at look at uh, Morgan Burke at Purdue. I mean, he he had Gene Cady. Gene Cady was there for 25 years all of a sudden a coaching vacancy comes and it's like, Oh man, this is my shot. I'm not going to get to do this again. So you had better make sure you get it right. By the way, have you seen the, uh, and I, I don't know that I've ever seen a picture of this dude before John Shire, the guy who's going to be the new Duke coach. He looks exactly like you'd think the Duke coach should look. (laughs) 
Like when I, you looking imagine, at a picture of him right now. Yeah. Yes. When you imagine what would the head coach of Duke look like? Oh yes, that's exactly that is him. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. See, and I, I I I get what you're saying, but. I can't imagine when it's not going to be weird to look over there and not see Coach K. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, he, I mean, he is Duke. You know, to, to go back to the original question, is it the coach? Is it the program? He, he is inextricably linked to the program. He is the program. So uh, I don't know for Duke if it if it's going to be okay for them, but – my, like I said at the beginning, my assumption is that it will be okay, at least for the near term, because they're still getting big name recruits, they're still getting big stars, and it's not like it's not like they're going to drop off the face of the earth. Even, even in seasons when Duke is bad, Duke still draws, Duke is still a name, Duke is still in the headlines. Yeah, I think that's totally fair. I'd be shocked if they went away. I don't... I think there is a slight bit of worry just because Duke isn't a national powerhouse in other athletics. I think that does matter a little bit. Do you uh, mean do you mean that matters as far as drawing athletes or I think so. how you recover? Yeah, a little bit of both. I just I, I think there are certain advantages to some schools. Like UCLA is known for a lot of different sports, also amazing weather. It's California, who doesn't want to be out there? Right. Um, North Carolina, in some ways, their tradition goes back even further. You've got – I think they'll be fine because Duke has plenty of, you know, history, a ton of NBA players. But it is always curious when you see – like, I don't know what Gonzaga would be if few left. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, he's another one who basically built the program. So – I don't know. But, I mean, to parallel to another sport, I mean, you look at what has gone on at Oregon. I guess you can't really compare it 100% because Oregon basically has a blank check of money. Um, but their their football program was basically built because, you know, they get a lot of money from Phil Knight. And everybody thought it was the coach. The coach leaves. They've had, what, four coaches since? I can't even remember. But they always get hired away to the NFL. They flop in the NFL, and then they come back to college. So, um, you know, that was more of a program than a coach situation there. Yeah. Um, but also their basketball team has, you know, had a lot more success in it probably, you would think. Probably a lot of – some of that is, you know, just residual effect from that, from the money, from – a successful, cool program. Yeah, and, you know, no matter how much money they have, their basketball court is still hideous. <laughs> it's, it's not I good. absolutely... Oh, I hate their floor. I just, I just think there is a chance that Duke turns into Indiana 2.0. Yeah, I, I mean, I absolutely think there's a chance. I but... think it's on the table. Okay. So, I mean, if they are following that path, then you would think they're going to have quite a few coaches in the next two decades. If... If Shire's not right, like if Shire's not the choice, I'm always dubious of coaches that stick around to be the next up and comer. Generally, when you think of the most successful people anywhere, they want to go be the head of something small and make their own first. Maybe that's just me. Maybe yeah. that's simplistic, but I've never super been on. Oh, yeah. I like the guy who's willing to wait a few years. That's always seemed strange to me. Yeah. Well, I think. I think 
the problem that you see with a lot of sporting uh, hires, whether it be college or pro, a lot of the fans, like, they want a Purdue guy. They want a Duke guy. They want a Michigan man. Yes, Michigan man is the phrase. It's not a, you know, just ask Juan. He'll tell you. Um, but that doesn't mean Jack. You can know, the at least to me, you can know the program, but it, if you – if you are not a good coach, it shouldn't bump you up above someone else just because you're a guy from that school. That is not a reason alone to hire somebody. No. And if they wanted Shire, there's no reason Shire couldn't have gone and been a coach at another program for three or four years, built up, you know, a smaller program and then be like, hey, come back home. Yeah, I, I'm with you to a degree, too, because the only reason really not to do that if you're Shire is – you're worried you might fail, and then you might not get the Duke job because they don't want to hire a loser. They're Duke. They want to hire a winner. So they'll hire somebody from their staff who Coach K trusts. But if he had left you know, four years ago and gone to like northern Illinois or you know, somewhere, and suddenly that team gets worse or you know, he doesn't recruit very well, he doesn't turn anything around, then when Coach K announces his retirement, they're like, oh, this was the guy we wanted to hire. He is not doing well over there in Northern Illinois. So maybe maybe there's a little bit of a, an apprehension to going out and taking that risk when you're in his position, knowing that the Duke job is yours if you stay around. Yeah, I just can't imagine if I'm Coach K and I think I have the next Coach K on my like staff, at no point is my advice going to be, yeah, just stay under my wing for a little while longer. That's not how you become Coach K. You need to go lead your own program. You need to learn all the ins and outs. Be the guy. It was one thing. Painter came back. We they they already saw him go someplace else. Right. Be successful. Do the grind. Know what it's like to be responsible for every part of the program. Yeah. And I then mean, he they, just came it's... back. You know, because we weren't gonna. The only reason we hired him to be you know the assistant head coach for a year is because we weren't just gonna cold fire Gene Katie. Yeah. He meant too much to the program. Yeah. Yeah. And going from an assistant coach to a head coach is a huge change. Um, like you said, everything comes down to you. Everything falls on you. If something goes wrong, it's on you. You can't say, oh, I was, you know, we did what we could with this recruit, but, you know, we didn't get him. It's it's your job. You're the closer. You're the one on the court, um, you know, drawing up the plays. Or else you hired the guys who draw the draw up the draw up the plays. So everything comes back to you, and never having that experience, um, and then going directly to head coach at Duke, where the expectations are sky high, um, I think is going to be a difficult transition. So uh, we'll see how he does, but I think that's going to be that's going to be a hard jump for your first job. Yeah, I mean it'll be fun in five years when Dan Fife is a coach at Duke. And, uh... <laughs> John Shire takes the IU job after getting fired at two. Yeah, there you go. We just we're just gonna play a game of swap coaches and see what happens. Everybody's gonna move two spaces over. They can join their own disappointment conference. The used yeah. to bees. That that would be a fun conference. Who else would be in there? Let's see. Syracuse. Oh yeah, Syracuse. Okay. I guess well, not UCLA anymore. No, no, not after this last year. But you know they've uh, they're opening. Uh, for member, they're open for membership, so we'll see who else uh, joins. But uh, it could be a long list if we really go back <laughs> and look at history. So, I I think you know time will tell how these guys do. 
Um, but I mean, you are absolutely right that it is incredibly hard to hire the right person twice in a row. Um, so in that instance, yes, the coach makes a big difference, but what you do, you know, you need a good program. You need a good name. You need the right person pulling the strings behind the scenes. So we will see if Duke has the right person in front of them now. Yeah. I mean, worst case scenario, you know, the. It'll be a little bit easier to get to the final four in the next couple of years. Yeah. And I'll take that. I'll take <laughs> that anytime. So, all right. I think that wraps that up. We've got one final segment of the show. We always end with a recommendation and, uh, this week is my week. And, uh, Casey, I have got another book for you. You read a lot of books. Well, see, here's the thing. I didn't for a long time. I don't know if you know this. I went to law school. You mentioned it uh, a time. <laughs> so, you know, when anytime you're in school, you don't, at least for me, I found like no time to read for pleasure. It was always you're reading stuff for school. You're, you're, you know, when you're in law school, you're reading cases, you're reading, you know, just ridiculously horrible stuff that is far too long and far too dense. Um, so like every Christmas I would have time to read like two books, three books, um, so I was reading at the time I was reading the millennium series, which is like the girl with the dragon tattoo books, um, which those are great, except for when the original author died, they got really bad. I, they're not very good. Um, but this last year, after I finally got through law school and graduated, I like went to the library and I don't know if you experienced this too, but do you just get overwhelmed looking for a new book? No, I just buy like eight. Okay. Well, okay. That's one way of doing it. But mm -hmm. like when you don't pay attention to like the new books that are coming out, because there are hundreds of new books all the time. Like I can't keep track of what is, you know, deemed good, what I should read. So I'm like walking through the library. Um, and because, you know, marketing works, there's like the book on the end that's like facing out to me. And I like grab one of them. Um, and the book I'm going to tell you about is called An Anonymous Girl. Uh, it's written by Greer Hendricks and Sarah uh, Pekinen. I'm not sure if you've ever heard of this book. I have not. Letman. Okay. It was published in uh, 2018, the end of 2018. Um, and again, this is another book I don't want to say too much about. Um, so I will give a just a, a brief overview. It's like a psychological thriller kind of situation. Um, it's a, a woman who signs up for basically a, uh, like an experiment so she can get some extra money and she goes in and gets run through this experiment with a, um, psychologist, psychiatrist, can't remember what the official title was. Um, and the psychiatrist, um, is this other woman and she's like, oh, you know, I like what you've done. You're, you've passed the initial test. You've passed the screening. We're going to keep going. Uh, through this experiment, you're going to keep getting paid more money. And in essence, she begins to the student begins to wonder, the woman begins to wonder, is this person controlling my behavior? Is anything I'm doing real or is this woman controlling me in some sort of controlled experiment? And it gets like deeper and weirder as you go along. Um, and it's not like a huge deep like think about existential crisis in your life book but it was one hell of a fun read and uh sometimes that's really all i'm looking for gotcha and i think i think they're also making it into like a tv show or a movie 
So the title didn't match up with what the book became. I'll, I'll be honest with you. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know. It's uh, it's it, ideally, I think the anonymous girl is the point of like the experiment. Like you're not supposed to know who it is. It's like a blind experiment kind of thing. So the, all the people in it are anonymous. Um, so uh, the the woman, I think her name is Jessica, which I remember because that's my wife's name. Um, <laughs> she she's like she's like a struggling makeup artist. Like she goes to people's houses and like gets them up for like a party or a night out or something like that. So that's why she finds herself in a situation where she needs the money. So it's. It's it's a weird premise, but I thought it was a hell of a good book and a really fun read. And like I said, that's just sometimes that's all you need is a fun premise and you go from there. So I would definitely recommend uh, An Anonymous Girl. And it is, like I said, I'm actually Googling it right now. It is going to uh, have a TV series uh, that is in development right now. So no idea when that's going to be, but it's Anonymous Girl written by Greer Hendricks and Sarah Pekinen. Uh, from December 2018. So that is my recommendation for the week. There you go. Add it to your summer reading list. That's right. And now you've all got plenty of time. So <laughs> that's going to do it for us this week. Um, for Casey, I am Andrew Ledman. Make sure to go out, like, rate, review, and hammer that subscribe button. We'll see you next time. <laughs> Thank you.